I'm Pastor Jerry's fill-in for the day. I'm David Bird, the mission pastor here. Jerry's taking a break, doing visioning and things for the next year. So if you're a guest today, do not be afraid. Uh, receive the teaching with, with humility. And if you're a guest today, we have a, a guest card, a welcome card in the pew in front of you. And uh, so don't let the fill-in guy keep you from filling this out. We'd love to shoot you an email of Christmas greetings and of faith in Christ this time of year and be of any assistance that we can for you uh, in these days ahead. About 18 months ago, I met with uh, one of the sons of my best friend. And because they live in another state, I knew his children. Uh, Semi-casual way, we didn't get to grow up together. But when this son was in town, he called me, we got together. In the small talk of our conversation, he wanted to know um, how accurate the stories were from his father and my, our younger years and the adventures that we had gotten into and if they had been embellished or not. And I probably embellished them even a little bit more. And, uh, but after a while, we got into the deeper talk. He had hit some very rough spots in his life, which I knew about uh, because I was in constant communication with his father. But he talked about that and did some confession, but he was making some good choices. He was getting married, relocating uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, actually the uh, Mid-Cities area. And I just told him, I said, look, you know, if there's anything I can do in my power to assist you, I'll be glad to do it. As you would, right? Yeah. Now, I didn't realize it, but at the time I had actually been reading 1 John. And an application of God's Word kind of hit me in that moment. And I just said something like, look, I love your dad with all my heart. And I would do anything for him. And because I love him, I will always love you and do anything for you. Just let me know. Because if you love the father, you'll love the child. Even if you don't know them very well. So I want to start in our scripture today in chapter 5, verse 1, and then we'll go back and look at those verses and at the end of verse, uh, chapter 4. But I wanted to kind of start there, our starting point. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. If you believe that Jesus Christ is our Redeemer... If we receive forgiveness of our sin, we are born of God. That's salvation. And I'm going to close our message on that note. Making sure that all of us are a part of the kingdom of God. That we have faith that will overcome the world. Right now, I want us to think on this phrase that if you love the Father, you will love His child. Love other people in the congregation as well. So I want you to think of a family, okay? Any family, actually I want you to think of your family. And your family is all coming together for the holidays. You're all going to be there together. What does your family look like? What dysfunctions do you see? What are you dreading? Does everybody get along? Is the love spread evenly and equally over each individual? You know that old joke that in every family there's two types of people. One's the missionary and one's the mission calls, right? 
One's the missionary, one's the mission project. And if you don't know which one you are, you need to find out real quickly on that when you get together for the holidays. Love should be a part of that family experience. But sometimes our love gets short-circuited. And it can be the same within the family of God, within a body of believers. So God, uh, John continues to reiterate week after week if we study this, this idea of loving God and loving His children. It goes together. They are inseparable. And of course, Jesus taught this in the Great Commandment. One day someone came to Him and said, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. On those two commandments, everything else has to fall into place. If you don't have those two things down, the others really won't make any sense. You love God, and you love God's people with all your heart. If you don't love God, the rest of the law, it doesn't mean a thing. And if you don't love His children, the law means nothing at all. The whole law depends on this godly love. So let's go back now and look at those closing verses in chapter 4. John says... If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have from him. What's the commandment that we have from him? The great commandment. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. The one who loves God should love his brother also. Boy, John just calls us out here. He says, we're liars if we say that we love God, we don't love our brother or get along with them. And this whole thing of loving everyone in the family can be so hard. Would you agree with me? There, there's no hurt like the hurt that can be given from a family member. And it's true in the body of Christ. The biggest wounds I've ever received have come from believers. Non-believers have never injured me the way a few believers have over the decades I've been in this world. And to love people in that context is a great challenge. And so we need to hear John saying, you can talk about loving God all you want to, but if you can't love the family of God, don't talk to me about how much you love me. John is articulating an incredibly profound principle that our actions toward other people reveals our heart. Our deeds reveal the nature that we have. What we do tells us who we are. And in this case, a real love for God shows itself tangibly in our attitude and our actions toward other believers. The Bible doesn't say doesn't just say that God has love. The Bible says God is love. And He created you and me as objects of His love. Did you know this morning that you're one of God's favorites? He loves you that much. 
He loves you. He wants you to be Christ-like. He wants you to be fully devoted to His Son. And He created you so that we might learn how to love the way He loves. That's our purpose in life. You know, why, why didn't God just create us fully grown human beings and just take us straight to heaven? You ever thought about that? Why does He leave us down here for 60, 70, 80 years in a world that's full of suffering and sadness and sorrow and problems and pressure and stress? Why didn't He just take us straight to heaven? He leaves us here so that we will learn His love and learn how to give His love to other people. So I want to share three things with you from these verses in 1 John. The Christian experience is about learning how to love. So first of all, I want you to get this. We are commanded to love. We are commanded to love. That's why it's called the great commandment. We are commanded to love God with all of our heart. We are commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves. And some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute. Isn't love an emotion? You can't control that. Well, God would never command something that He doesn't give us the power and the ability to do. We are commanded to love, so what He reveals to us, number two, I want you to get this, is that our love is a choice that we make. Our love is a commitment that we make. Notice in verse 2 of chapter 5, you have love of the Father, you love the child. By this we know that we love the children. How do we know we love the children of God? Well, it's when we love God first and we observe His commandments. The great commandment. We choose to love God. Loving God's not just a feeling. We choose to love Him. We choose to obey His commandments. And all the commandments of God are basically how to engage Him and how to engage other people. You think of the Ten Commandments, the first part of them, here's how, how you deal with your relationship with God. The second part, here's how you deal with your relationship with other people. All the law and the prophets hold on those two things, loving God and engaging other people in His love. It's a choice. It's a commitment. We choose to love the Lord with all of our heart, or today we choose not to love the Lord and we choose to love our idols. It's the same with our neighbor, our spouse, that difficult believer. Love is a choice. You know, we kind of bought into this myth that, that love is, is just uncontrollable. You know, you know I, I, I fell in love. We know that romantic love really started about three or four hundred years ago. I mean, there was a day that marriage was just an arrangement. You know, and you had to learn to love each other. Romantic love is, is kind of a new thing here. And, you know, and we talk about, you know, I, I just fell in love like, you know, I fell in a ditch or something. I don't know. But <laughs> it, it just happens. And that's not true. Love is a choice. It's not just a feeling. It's something that is controllable. You know, physical attraction to someone, uh, that's uncontrollable. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Arousal is, is uncontrollable, no doubt about that. But attraction and arousal are not love. 
They can lead to love, but they're not love. Love is a choice and a commitment. I don't even want to try to count the times I've, I've talked to a man or a woman who are trying to justify a separation or a divorce. I just don't love my spouse anymore. As if it's totally out of their control. But in acting in love when you don't feel like it is actually a higher form of love, a higher level of love than when you do feel like it. You choose to love in spite of how you feel or whether the other person deserves it or not. You choose to love others the way that God has loved you. We're commanded to love. And if we're commanded, it must be a choice. It must be controllable. It must be a commitment that we make. And so number three, the Bible says that love is a conduct. It has to do with actions. Love is something you do. It's not just an emotion. It can cause emotions. In fact, love is one of the most powerful emotions human beings have. But love is, first of all, conduct and commitment. Now John bears witness, as does all the Bible, that we are commanded by God to love each other. And it is very difficult, very difficult, to command an emotion. Brenda Bird, be sad right now. <laughs> As she tries to hold in her giggles. You can't just command emotions. How many of you, when you had kids, you always fell into the trap? Stop crying, be happy. As if that was going to fix the situation. Like they could command happiness. You can't command an emotion. They're often uncontrollable. So if love was just an emotion then God couldn't command it of us. But love is something that you do. It's about our conduct. It produces emotion. It is love in action. Let's review something. A few weeks ago, Pastor Jerry preached on chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. It says, Little children, let us not love with word or tongue. Let's don't just talk about it. But in deed and truth, it's something that you do. It's a commitment. It's a conduct. So let me reiterate something I said earlier. Acting in love, even when you don't feel like it, is one of the highest levels of love. It's a more mature level of love than, than just responding the way you feel at the moment. You know, it's easy to love somebody who loves you back. That's nothing. But real acts of love does loving things when the other person doesn't deserve it, when they don't respond back, when they reject it, and even when you don't feel like it. If you ever held a sick pan for a loved one who was nauseated, you didn't feel like doing that. But it was needed. And you did it because you loved them, and that's what they needed. It wasn't what you felt like doing. When a parent has a irritable, 
preteen who's being a jerk. Anybody ever had one of those in your household? I'm not saying at the moment. <laughs> and everything in your body wants to be sarcastic and just let them have it. But you respond in kindness and politeness and love to that teenager who's being a jerk. You give them not what they deserve, but what they need. That is love in action. You set the boundaries out of love, not out of punishment. You know, another thing about love as a conduct, it's always easier to act your way into a feeling than it is to feel your way into an action. I'll say that again. It's easier to act your way into a feeling of love than to wait around till you start feeling loving to do something for somebody. Loving God and loving other people, it's like our spiritual disciplines. It's like prayer. It's like tithing. It's like our daily devotionals. If the only time I pray is when I feel like praying, the devil's going to make sure I never feel like praying. And the days I don't feel like praying, those are the days I need to pray. And then when I do pray, I begin to get into loving God, and that's when the blessings begin to flow into my life. That's when I need it the most. By the way, as Pastor Jerry said, um, our family, church family, will meet for prayer this uh, Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock. And I, I hope if God touches you on the shoulder to be here, I hope you'll come so we can pray together as a church family. We need to do that. So it's actually when I don't feel love. A lot of times that's a test. It's God saying, David, are you going to learn how to love me? Are you going to wait till you feel like it? Are you going to love other people? Or are you going to wait till you feel like it? God doesn't want me living by my feelings. He wants me to have a living faith that overcomes the world. And so every day God puts opportunities into our life to demonstrate His love. And you'll get these thoughts from time to time. You'll think, oh man, I, I, should, I should call them. I haven't talked to them in a long time. I heard they're having the difficulty. I should text them. I should try to get the coffee. I should, should be encouragement to that person at work. You know, I ought to go do something for this neighbor who's down. But we miss those opportunities because our lives are busy. And yet a heart that when we begin to focus on the love of God, love begins to take opportunities or advantage of these opportunities to serve other people. So we're commanded we're commanded to love other people. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we have to focus on loving God first and foremost. We'll never love other people until we're focused on loving God first and foremost. Our problems in life are because we do not love Him first. In verse 3, John tells us in chapter 5, For this is the love of God. What is the love of God? The love of God is this, that we keep His commandments. How do we know when we're loving God? We're doing what He wants us to do. 
We're walking in fellowship with Him. We're walking in communion with Him. We're taking in those boundaries that He has set for us for our own good. We keep His commandments, and His commandments in that setting are not burdensome. When we're focused on loving God with all of our heart, it's easy to keep His commandments. Loving God makes the commandments enjoyable, not a burden. We find out that those commandments are there to protect us. Those commandments are there to give us purpose in life. But our daily problem is we don't love God enough and we love the things of this world way too much. And that's why commandments begin to become a burden on us, not a blessing. It's about our idols. It's who we're loving. It's who we're worshiping. Our idols become our first love. And we love God less. We hate other people or we don't love them because there's an idol somewhere in our life. And that idol needs to be destroyed. There are a lot of applications from these verses. One application is that of Christian marriage that we've already kind of alluded to. Marriage is a proving ground for love, right? That's where you learn how to love. Is in a marriage. Another area is friendships within our congregation. Because brotherly love is grounded in the truth that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And do we love each other for that reason? And your love for God's people in this congregational setting is deepened, I believe, is when you get involved in a life group. Because it's easy just to kind of come to church, not really get connected, or you've got your two or three friends, not that that's a bad thing. But you really learn the love of God and how to love other people when you get connected with others in a life group and you start seeing warts and all come out. Life group is, is another testing ground for us to receive love and to give love and to show love for other people. And as the mission pastor here, you would probably expect this from me, but I think another tangible way of showing our love is through our Advent offering and our giving. Glad to know we're halfway there. Three more Sundays to go today, next week, and the last Sunday of the month. But I do want to make a plea uh, to fund the Youth Bible Conference next October uh, in France. Uh, I have seen this thing in, in action. It, it's quite remarkable. So these Christian youth come together for a conference each year, and there's usually about 100 of them from six or seven churches in southern France. And uh, say next year um, they take First John. There's five chapters in First John. There will be five team members on the team. One will memorize chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. They will memorize it. They'll stand before a congregation or some judges, and somebody goes, okay, 1 John chapter 3, and that person steps forward, quotes chapter 3, beginning to end. And then they step back, and a judge might say, Chapter 5, verse 4, 
person has chapter 5, has to step forward, do verse 4. They step back, a judge will start quoting a verse, may do half the verse, and whoever has that verse in their chapter has to step forward and go, uh, chapter 1, verse 11. And then they're asked doctrinal questions. Okay, what do these things, what does this mean to love God? What does this mean to love the children of God? And they have to respond. It's a remarkable thing to see. Next year, um, they're going to go nationwide with this. And there's a little town of Montier where we're trying to get a church started. Uh, the guy who's trying to, to, to start the church there, in fact, you're going to meet him uh, in April. He'll be here, he and his wife. They've not been able to reach any adults. So they've got about 15 teenagers, though, coming weekly for Bible study. Now, 10 years, if they grow up, we'll have a church because they'll be young adults by then. But right now, it's, it's a teen movement, basically. But uh, this town is going to host it. And Steve Marshall, our missionary there, has rented all the gymnasiums there. He's praying for 500 people to show up. We're going to have potential for 1,000. The businesses there aren't going to know what's hit it. All these young people coming in, spending money. Uh, but it's going to be a great, great event. And they're going to need a little bit more money than what we have allotted in there, our Advent offering. So here's my plea, and I want you to make the prayer, is that we... we blow this $70,000 out of the water, that we go way beyond that. So then I can go to the elders and go, please, 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 can I have some more money for France? <laughs> so I have ulterior motives here on this. But is not giving, is that not an act of loving God first and loving others as yourself? It's not what the pastor teaches when we give our offering at the end of the service is to give it out of Gratitude and love for who God is first. Two verses I want to share with you before we close. Verse 4. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So if love is born of God, truth, justice, if it's born of God, it overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is the, what's the victory? It's our faith. I don't want any of us leaving here this morning thinking, okay, I, I agree with everything you said. I should love God and, and love others. I'm, I know that here. And I don't want you leaving thinking, I got it. I'm good with God. Without realizing that there is a faith there is a victory that overcomes the world, but it is our faith. Our faith in God and our faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Our faith in the redemption that He offers. It is a redemption of Christ. It is the forgiveness of our sin that gives us victory in overcoming the things in this world. Victory starts with loving God. It ends with loving others. It all goes together. It's inseparable. But you have to have faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to pull up that great commandment one more time in Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, he says it in a little bit different way than in Matthew's. 
Mark identifies the questioner. So I want you to notice here, Mark records that one of the scribes came and heard them arguing. Heard who arguing? All right, they're, they're attacking Jesus. They're asking him all these questions. They're trying to find proof, you know, uh, to give them reason to crucify him. They've had it up to here with Jesus. They're just bombarding him with all these questions. And he keeps answering them in an amazing way. And they keep coming back at another angle to, to find proof to condemn him to the cross. And this scribe is there. He hears all this going on. He recognizes that Jesus answers them well. Isn't that interesting? And he asked Jesus, what commandment is foremost of all? And Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Notice what this scribe's response is in the next slide here. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, Right, teacher, right. You have truly stated. He agrees with Jesus. You have truly stated that he is one. There is no one else beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as himself. That is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. I get it, Jesus. This is what God's want. He's not worried about our sacrifices that we do weekly in the temple. It's not about our rituals. It's about loving God and loving others. I get that. And I agree with that. And Jesus, when he saw that he answered him intelligently, he said to him, now get this. You're not far from the kingdom of God. Mm. You're not far. But you're not there. And after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. Here's a scribe who seems to be a friendly enemy of Jesus. Not hostile enemy. Enemy nonetheless. Friendly. He's polite. He hears all this arguing. He calmly asks Jesus this question. He's still on the opposition side. My guess is we have friends like that, and perhaps some of you are here today. You're not hostile to Jesus, but you're not on board with him yet either. You're not far from the kingdom of God. This scribe possessed spiritual knowledge. He grasped that love was superior to religious ritual. He wasn't far from the kingdom of God, but he wasn't fully in. Notice that he calls Jesus teacher. Doesn't call him Lord. Teacher. Our morality is not good enough to get us into the kingdom of God. I don't want you leaving here this morning thinking, well, I, I got this down. I know I got, I'm supposed to love God. I'm supposed to love other people. And you miss the faith that overcomes the world, the victory that comes through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ.
let me remind you to take this sermon this morning in context of all of 1 John and the rest of the Bible. As Jerry has faithfully preached week after week, have you noticed that John gives us three tests of true Christianity? The first one several weeks ago was a moral test. Do we obey God and His Word? Because some apparently in the church were saying, I can know God, but I can live like I want to with no rules, no boundaries. I can believe what I want to regardless of God's Word. There's a moral test. Then a few weeks ago, Jerry talked about a doctrinal test. Do we believe what God says about Jesus Christ, His Son? Because some were saying, I can know God while denying what the Bible says about Jesus Christ, His propitiation death, His resurrection, His offer of forgiveness. And then the third test is one we've been on the last few weeks. It's that relational test. Do we love one another? Because some were saying, I can know God, but you know, some of those people in the church are just weird. <laughs> and I'm not going to deal with that. To enter the kingdom of God requires an invitation to come into it. It requires an invitation to follow Jesus. It is the work of the Holy Spirit drawing us to come and follow Him. We can only hope, we can only pray this scribe that perhaps Mark knew received that invitation and responded with full devotion to Christ who began to follow Christ receiving forgiveness of his sins knowing Him as Lord not teacher and living a life of loving Him and loving other Christ followers. And I want to make sure this morning you have that victory. That you will respond if Jesus Christ is calling you, come follow me. That's your invitation. whoever believes that Jesus Christ is born of God and whoever loves the father loves the child born of him let's pray together heavenly father may your spirit move in our midst touch the hearts of those who have yet crossed that line of faith who know in their hearts like this scribe that it's not about going to church, it's not about rituals, it's not about taking communion, it's not about Advent offering. It's about loving you first and foremost and loving others. But Father, let us not forget that it is faith in Jesus Christ that gives us victory to overcome the world. And as we come at this time of communion, as we come into this holy season of Advent... We worship you who gave up glory in heaven to be born into this world. To live among us, to teach us how to love you and to love each other. And who at the appointed time died upon a cross for my sin and all of us here in this auditorium this morning. That through faith, in the death of Jesus, 
through faith in his resurrection, we can have eternal life.